the next topic that we discussed was intimacy. What do we mean by intimacy? Why do we need intimate relationships? Uh, how are intimate relationships in childhood related to intimate relationships um, in adolescence, in adulthood? And um, certainly a key part of the answer is that by intimacy we mean warm, self-disclosing relationships between two people. So we, we may have intimate relationships, emotionally intimate relationships with more than one other person, um, but the focus is typically um, on dyads or relationships of two people. We as infants must have intimate relationships to survive. If there is no one who holds us, who feeds us, who keeps us warm, who protects us, who treats us with love, we don't physically survive. And even as we are less physically dependent upon loving care from other people, we are psychologically dependent on the experience of loving care, from loving concern from other people. So physical intimacy in the mother-infant bond, the caretaker-infant bond, is essential for physical survival. But psychological, psychosocial intimacy is ultimately essential for our healthy psychological survival. Parental monitoring of peer relationships and appropriate levels of parental guidance and involvement in peer relationships is um, an important element in developing and maintaining healthy peer interactions and healthy um, peer relationships. Appropriately monitoring parents serve as coaches, serve as gatekeepers in peer relationships. That means they know whether or not their child has good friends or a good friend or has no friends. And by appropriately observing, appropriately inquiring, um, they understand the nature of the interaction. Similarly, as uh, adolescents go on to form romantic relationships where that occurs, um, parents who monitor those relationships um, have some idea of the likelihood that their teen is sexually active in the relationship, uh, may by virtue of their advice, their expectations, be able to delay the beginning of active sexuality, and they equip their children with an understanding um, of safe sex, where they have no realistic expectation that their kids are going to abstain from sexual activity. So they know what's going on, and they take a variety of actions to decrease the risks for their kids.
the emotionally close relationships that we have beginning in infancy, uh, but certainly in adolescence, are preparation for our adult relationships, our adult friendships, our adult romances, even our adult working relationships. But those are not necessarily intimate, but they involve some of the aspects that intimate relationships involve. So emotionally intimate relationships involve friendship, liking, trust, and self-disclosure. People in an emotionally intimate relationship communicate important emotionally charged information to each other. Through the process of having these relationships, we develop skills of cooperation, of being dependable and being willing to depend on someone else, of communicating openly, respectfully, of being emotionally honest, of controlling our impulses. We may get angry in our intimate relationships, but how we express anger, how we deal with anger, how we resolve conflicts are important in being able to maintain relationships. Sometimes people simply abandon relationships when they become angry because they don't have tools for negotiating conflict. They're unable to compromise. And someone who can't compromise, someone who can't forgive, someone who can't trust um, is going to have a very difficult time, not just with romantic relationships, but with work relationships as well. Um, Herstack Sullivan considered the ability to have intimate, emotionally intimate relationships with romantic partners as something that has its roots in childhood. That we learn tenderness, physical tenderness, as infants in the way we're cared for. We learn how to be companions during childhood. We learn to be accepted, to accept from our peers um, in middle childhood and in late childhood or pre-adolescence. We learn how to be emotionally intimate. We learn how to trust, cooperate, and share feelings, not just share toys, but share hopes, share aspirations, share disappointments with a same-sex friend that he termed a chum. So chumships, according to Sullivan, are really critical for developing the intimate relationship skills that we need in healthy sexual and romantic relationships. Friends choose each other on different bases at different points in life. In early childhood and toddler years, our friends are typically those that we're most familiar with who play in the same ways that we do. So similarity and proximity are the nearly exclusive determinants of peer preference in early childhood. Um, as we mature, similarity becomes uh, 
multidimensional, so similarity in values, similarity in activity level, similarity in preference for schoolwork versus other kinds of activity become important. We also typically choose as friends people who are demographically similar to us. But depending on the breadth of our exposure to people who are different from us, friendships can and do transcend those demographic lines. Um, by middle adolescence, the sex segregation that characterizes childhood cliques, childhood friendships, childhood friendship groups, um, has partially broken down and it's quite frequent for boys and girls, adolescent boys and girls, to have other sex friends who are not necessarily uh, boyfriend, girlfriends, or just friends. Um, for boys, female friends typically are more rewarding because female friends are more likely to have developed better relationship skills than, including listening skills, than male friends. Um, dating is a changing social phenomenon. Uh, most American teens date. Most have started dating by the time they're 15. Um, dating practices essentially don't vary across the three largest ethnic groups, white, Latino, and African American. Um, kids initially hang out uh, with a boy clique, hanging out with a girl clique. So we go from same gender social groups to mixed gender social groups from group parties to girlfriend-boyfriend relationships. They're typically um, very, very transient. Um, dating is mostly, dating in high school is mostly a North American custom, and the frequency of dating appears to be declining. Um, there are a variety of possible explanations for that within some groups of students. It's clearly because um, casual sex uh, has replaced dating. Um, but hanging out with technology uh, is frequently a, a group pastime. Um, for academically motivated teens, Achieving the SAT score you want, the fives on AP tests that you want, the IB that you want, um, all of those things may leave very little time for dating. Um, there are subcultures within our society that strictly limit dating. Um, dating is done under uh, very public adult supervision. It's typically done by late teens, those in their 20s, and dating is seen not as recreational and fun, but as a prelude to marriage. Uh, you might have a few dates with someone, and then you decide, this is someone I would consider marrying, and you continue to date them for a few more dates, and then you get engaged. 
um, or this is someone I would not consider marrying. So you stop dating them um, after one, two, or three dates. These are typically traditional cultures um, with strong religious identities. Um, romantic relationships involve emotional attachment, um, intimacy, sexual attraction, um, and all of these come together in adolescence. Um, early adolescent relationships may be based strictly on sexual attraction and idealization of the other. But over time, um, romantic relationships where they're healthy um, typically involve uh, emotional intimacy as well as sexual attraction as well as enjoyed shared activity. Um, Robert Sternberg argues that the highest form of romantic love combines emotional intimacy, sexual passion, and commitment to the relationship. That is a commitment to see the relationship continue even if a variety of difficulties are encountered. Um, early attachment, early secure attachment is linked to higher quality romantic relationships. So, Infants who are securely attached are more likely to be adolescents and adults who have healthy romantic relationships with their partners. Um, where someone has experienced insecure attachment in infancy, they are likely to be insecure about attachment in romantic relationships and have a high degree of rejection sensitivity. They're constantly vigilant for signs of rejection, signs of not caring by their romantic partner. Some adolescent relationships, unfortunately, are um, marred by the same kind of violence that exists in some adult relationships. This can take the form of physical violence, beating, punching, uh, it can take the form of coercive sex, it can take the form of forced pregnancy, it can be purely emotional in which one partner constantly criticizes, berates the others, uh, and exerts control over how they spend their time, where they go, who they see, typically um, reducing the partners, the abused partners, contact with other people, limiting contact to the abuser. Being exposed to domestic violence, being abused as a child, um, is related to intimate partner violence in adolescence, both for people who perpetrate abuse, that is for those who abuse a partner, and for those who tolerate abuse. Virtually anyone can become a victim of partner violence, but typically people who have had um, 
healthy growing up relationships in their families with their parents don't tolerate abuse. They recognize um, the signs of abuse or impending abuse. They recognize abuse when it occurs and they're out of the relationship. Um, adolescent sexuality has been the focus of national attention in this country for decades. Different cultures have very different views of what is uh, said to be acceptable and um, what is actually tolerated. In restrictive cultures, um, such as um, a traditional Islamic culture, a traditional Orthodox Jewish culture, individuals are supposed to have no sexual expression, no sexual activity, not just before adulthood, but before marriage. So sexuality is something for married partners, um, not just for adults. In semi-restrictive cultures, uh, values of premarital chastity may be espoused uh, by a variety of religious groups, but um, they're not rigidly enforced. There are no strong social sanctions for sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. In permissive cultures, sexual activity is expected in children, expected in adults, expected in adolescents. Um, in this country, we send teens very, very, very conflicting messages. Many of our high schools, uh, sex education incorporates an abstinence-only approach to birth control. Um, and many groups, without having any mechanisms for social control, express strong, strong, strong disapproval, um, not just of adolescent, but of premarital sexual activity. Um, many other countries um, are much less ambivalent, and I would say much less hypocritical. At the same time that we advocate uh, that many of our schools advocate an abstinence-only approach to um, birth control. We sell our five-year-old daughters Bratz dolls. Um, that's a very, very, very mixed message. Social scientists have been surveying adolescents about their sexual activity for several decades. Um, we know that self-reports are not completely reliable. Uh, there's evidence that boys are more likely to report earlier sexual activity and a higher number of sexual partners than they really have. Um, we know that lower socioeconomic status adolescents are more likely to exaggerate their sexual activity than males. Um, and we know that females are likely to underreport both the age at which they began sexual activity and their number of sexual partners. We know that the demographic characteristics, including race, 
and gender of someone who asks an adolescent questions about sexual behavior uh, result in very different profiles of activity. Um, with computer-assisted surveys and an emphasis on how important honesty and responding is, um, social scientists are confident that they get a little closer to um, accurate reporting. What we do know is that pregnancy rates are dropping for teenagers, um, particularly um, this is the only group in which births to unmarried mothers has dropped. In all other age groups, births to unmarried mothers, percentage of births to unmarried mothers have climbed. Um, so whether there's a decline in sexual activity or an increased use of birth control, um, we're, we're not entirely certain. Um, the NIH uh, reports that the average age for first sexual intercourse is 17.2 years for males. That means that by 17.2 years, half of males have had sexual intercourse at least once and half have not. For females, the comparable age is 18 and a half. Again, that means that uh, half have had sexual intercourse by 18 and a half, and half have not. Statistically, um, early sexual debut is considered to be sex before 13 or before 15 for females. An early sexual debut might sound like fun, but it's actually associated with a number of adverse health and sexual functioning outcomes and with a number of adverse social and educational outcomes. Um, more recent data from the NIH survey uh, shows that the patterns haven't really changed dramatically. Uh, there are strong racial differences with um, African-American and Hispanic youth reporting earlier sexual debut than white youth and Asian youth reporting a later sexual debut than any other groups. Um, why is starting to be sexually active earlier in life a problem? Um, some of the answers are obvious. Um, a young woman who becomes sexually active at an early age is much more likely to become pregnant and carry a pregnancy to term when she is educationally, emotionally, and financially unprepared to be a parent. When she may know literally nothing of the emotional and intellectual and even physical needs of an infant. So it is bad for babies to be born to very young mothers. Um, there's the risk of sexually transmitted infections. Um, a few decades ago, the common sexually transmitted diseases could be readily 
cured with antibiotics. Um, herpes viruses um, are lifelong inhabitants of your body that will cause periodic outbreaks uh, that are painful um, and can be transmitted to sexual partners even if you don't have an active lesion. Um, and AIDS, of course, um, can infect, can result from infection with the um, human amino, immune um, deficiency virus. Um, and while AIDS is manageable, it is a lifelong disease that can be transmitted to others and that if not managed is fatal. And the medication to manage um, HIV uh, is really unimaginably expensive if you don't have very good health insurance. Um, individuals who become sexually active at an earlier age, even absent early parenthood, are much more likely to drop out of school. They're much more likely to have unstable adult relationships. People who begin sexual activity early are much less likely to have sexually intimate relationships that also include emotional intimacy that typically go on to be long-lasting, uh, sustaining healthy relationships. And early sexual activity, particularly for men, carries with it a higher risk of sexual dysfunction in adulthood. Um, this isn't causal, it's correlational, and it's probably connected with a number of lifestyle factors that are um, associated with the um, individual differences, such as lack of impulse control, that are typically associated with very early sexual debut. What works to delay um, early sexual activity primarily is a good relationship with parents who communicate their expectation to their children that they will behave in a sexually responsible fashion and that that um, is related to their ability to achieve high educational goals. We know that federally mandated abstinence-only programs don't work. There's some evidence that theory-based abstinence programs may work. These differ in that they're not moralistic. They don't condemn sexual activity as bad. They include discussion of sexually transmitted infections and they include discussion of the effectiveness of condoms, both as a means of birth control, if they're reliably used, and a means of controlling sexually transmitted diseases. Um, for most teens, um, sexual orientation isn't an issue because the majority of teens are attracted to members of the opposite sex. Um, but the emergence of awareness of same sexual attraction, same sex orientation, um, is something that we are coming to understand as a very layered experience. 
the awareness that one is different from typical members of one sex uh, may come about for males um, in late childhood. Um, some evidence exists that male who assume a homosexual, a homosexual identity in adulthood have an awareness um, of being different as early as age eight. But being aware of being different is different from, is not the same as being aware of a sexual attraction to members of your own sex. And experiencing attraction is still different from being involved in sexual activity. Um, a number of young men may have transient same-sex experience um, without having an identity as um, a homosexual male. Um, identifying oneself to oneself as being homosexual, as being gay, um, as being lesbian, as being a person who's attracted nearly exclusively to members of one own sex, um, then is something that typically comes even later than initial involvement in sexual activity. And identifying oneself to peers, to parents, as um, gay or lesbian is yet another step. Um, the differences between males and females in awareness of same-sex attraction, in uh, developing a um, gay or lesbian identity in coming out, um, in exclusively maintaining um, a gay or lesbian identity are, are very, very pronounced. Um, Many women marry and have children um, and only after some years in a marriage um, have a full awareness that heterosexuality is not really where they live, is not really where they're deriving um, emotional satisfaction um, and they're they express their need for same-sex relationship. Um, that also occurs with men, but it's, it's much less likely for a man to uh, fully realize and come out as gay only after marriage than it is for women. And that may be simply because the sanctioned way of having children is to be married. Um, so this is an area of active research by both psychologists and sociologists. So close friendships in childhood and adolescence are, are good for people. They're uh, a classroom, if you will, for acquiring relationship skills that are going to be important in adult relationships, work relationships, friend relationships, romantic relationships. They offer the opportunity for us to learn how to be a dependable friend, how to trust somebody, how to be trusted, how to cooperate, how to communicate. 
um, adolescent romances, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships may or may not involve elements of friendship, may or may not involve emotional intimacy. But healthy adult romantic relationships are founded on emotional intimacy and enriched by sexual intimacy. So sexual passion is part of a whole package of a satisfying, healthy um, adult relationship. Sexual activity that begins in early adolescence may involve elements of force, coercion, seldom involves emotional intimacy, and it's associated with many downstream problems, socially, academically, um, and in terms of health outcomes. Um, the last topic we're going to review is um, adolescent problems. So here we're not talking about transient adjustment issues, transient annoying of parents with music, with messy rooms, with weird hairstyles or, or piercings or tattoos. Um, we're talking about adolescent problems that cause suffering, either um, personally experienced suffering or some detrimental change to the individual's social functioning or academic functioning. We're talking about things that are severe enough to bring involvement with the juvenile justice system or the criminal justice system. We're talking about things that may change the course of a life so that an adult life is marred by continuing serious problems. We distinguish between internalizing and externalizing problems, but of course an individual may suffer both. Um, externalizing problems include um, aggression, delinquency, antisocial behavior. Um, typically, there's some problem with impulse control. Antisocial behavior is more common among boys. Internalizing problems are inward directed, um, directed toward the self, um, depression, anxiety, eating problems, um, cutting, compulsive shopping. Um, these are more common among girls. Now, where you have things like eating disorders, um, where you have something like compulsive shopping, there's also obvious dysregulation um, in terms of self-regulatory control. Um, most adolescents don't get into trouble with the law, but the incidence of serious crimes increases across adolescents peaking at about age 18-19 for males over the course of the entire lifespan, arrest rates peak at ages 18-19. to 19. Um, Arrests of juveniles have dropped during the last decade. Um, the reasons for that are debated. Um, we know that we have instituted in many jurisdictions uh, alternatives to the juvenile justice system that provide 
um, behavioral interventions for teens who were uh, who seemed to be on a track for trouble um, pre-trial intervention um, can erase arrest records so there, there are a number of things going on that may account for that um, we know that more black teenagers end up um, in jail and juvenile detention facilities than do members of other groups, a higher percentage as well as absolute numbers. Um, we also know that this difference in detention rates is not paralleled by differences in bad behavior. When researchers look at self-reported incidents of delinquency, um, they don't see strong ethnicity and class distinctions. Um, boys often behave badly. Girls sometimes behave badly. Um, so what that suggests is that minority youth are much more likely to be caught, if caught, much more likely to be have their behavior reported to the police, if it's reported to the police, charges are more likely to be brought. If charges are brought, people are more likely. People who are members of minority groups are much more likely to be sent to juvenile detention facilities or jails. Um, we know that there are pre-existing differences between individuals who first get into trouble with the law in adolescence um, and then go on to lead relatively law-abiding lives and those who get into trouble prior to adolescence, more serious trouble in adolescence, and go on to lead lives marked by violence and crime. So people with no prior history of aggressive behavior, uh, of impulse control, of conduct disorder problems are unlikely to continue in delinquent behavior um, unless they're caught and imprisoned. If they're caught and imprisoned, they are in greater risk for the social contagion of criminal behavior. Um, but without a, a previous history, they're pretty likely to overcome what are typically negative peer influences that have gotten them into trouble and stay out of trouble. However, those with history of early problems are at very high risk for committing more serious crimes, for considering, for committing more serious violent acts, and for spending their adult years going in and out of jail or going to jail for a long time for something very serious. Um, drug use is often considered a very serious adolescent problem, but the reality is most adolescents will um, use some substances that are illegal for adolescents. Um, alcohol and nicotine are the most commonly used substances that are illegal for adolescents to use. Um, with marijuana a close third. Um, but it's important to note that alcohol and nicotine are not illegal for adults to use and are widely available to anyone who has 
an older sibling, friend, um, or a neighborhood store that's willing to take a risk and look the other way. Um, the reasons that people use drugs and their family history of drug use and abuse are um, important predictors of whether their drug use is going to be simply an occasional experiment, an occasional social experience, or is going to go on and become an addiction. Um, depression is rare in childhood. Depression occurs uh, at approximately equal incidence among males and females in childhood, and with the onset of puberty, the rate increases both for boys and girls, but increases much more dramatically for girls and stays high um, over the lifespan. Um, when we're talking about depression, we're not talking about simply feeling bad. We're talking about periods that last for weeks in which someone feels dejected, they're pessimistic about the future, they have lost their ability to enjoy the things that they've previously enjoyed. They typically have disturbances in appetite, eating less or eating much more, um, and disturbances in sleep. Again, sleeping very little or sleeping very much. Um, about 30% of teens will experience some depressive symptoms. Experiencing some depressive symptoms is not the same thing as experiencing major depressive disorder. Um, when we look at who is likely to suffer from depression or many other psychological, behavioral, psychiatric disorders, we typically look at the interaction of multiple forces. Um, this is sometimes known as the biopsychosocial model or the diathesis stress model. Typically, there is a biological vulnerability to a disorder that may or may not be genetic. It may be caused by prenatal um, stressors or prenatal exposure, um, plus the coping skills that someone has developed, plus the stressful events that they encounter. Individuals who have poor coping skills, high uh, biological load for uh, risk for disorder, and encounter significant stressors are much more likely to develop symptoms. Individuals with low biological risk, with good coping skills, who encounter the same stressors are much less likely to experience psychological distress. This model assumes that um, for essentially everybody, there is some level of stress that um, takes us beyond the ability of our coping mechanisms and will cause us to decompensate. That is, for our coping abilities to fail and for us to experience some impairment of our psychological or behavioral ability to deal with life temporarily. But most people um, don't face extreme stressors frequently. 
Adolescence is a time for many people of increased stresses. Stress from peer rejection, from peer evaluation, from romantic relationships, stress from uh, academic pressures. Uh, so with the occurrence of increased stress, we're likely to see increased symptoms. Um, our thinking about problems, um, again, thinking that's been shaped by our experience and the models we have for coping with problems, um, affect the likelihood that we will respond to distressing situations with distress or with um, coping with distress and depression um, or that we'll respond to the bad situations with distress and coping mechanisms to either change the situation or change the stress. Um, the gravest form of adolescent problem is of course adolescent suicide because once an adolescent has committed suicide there's no more hope for that individual that problems can be solved. About 17% of teens report having considered suicide at some point. And suicide is the third leading cause of teen deaths. More girls attempt suicide, more boys succeed. Girls are much more likely to attempt an overdose um, or to uh, attempt um, to slit their wrists. Um, boys are much more likely to jump off bridge, jump off a railroad trestle, um, hang themselves, or use a gun. Um, so if you use a lethal means that's likely to kill instantly versus a less lethal means that takes time to kill even if um, it's administered at a lethal level of intensity, it's much more likely that one will succeed. Um, kids at risk for suicide are those who have been depressed, whether the depression has been recognized or not. Kids who are experiencing family problems, kids who are experiencing bullying, kids who have a family history that includes suicide, um, kids who are exposed to the suicides of peers or of teens in nearby communities where those suicides um, receive publicity. Um, if you think that a friend is at risk for suicide, you should ask, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Have you done anything to acquire something to hurt yourself with? Um, don't stand by silently. Most people, including most teens, who successfully commit suicide have told more than one person about their intentions. Um, sometimes their language is direct. I'm thinking about killing myself. Sometimes their language is indirect. I don't know how much longer I can take it. Uh, I won't be around anymore for them to pick on. 
Um, but don't duck the issue if you have concerns. Um, notify someone, go with your friend to um, some potential source of help. Um, slide 50 includes the numbers of three different hotlines, a local one in Piscataway, a hotline for veterans, a national hotline. Many suicides can be prevented, and if a suicide can be prevented, um, depression may be treatable. Um, so that's an important set of things to consider. Um, other severe adolescent problems include uh, severe psychological disturbance such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Um, first episodes of severely depressed mood, severely agitated mood, um, seriously disturbed thinking, typically don't emerge out of the blue. There is what's known as a prodromal period in which there are emerging signs and symptoms uh, that can be very much like normal adolescent behavior. Um, but where multiple of these signs exist, uh, parents and teachers should be concerned and peers should be concerned. Uh, individual social behavior and mood may change dramatically. Someone who's been um, outgoing, self-confident, may become withdrawn, uh, may not participate in the things that they used to, or they may become very irritable, uh, may become very sad. Uh, sleep disturbances, oversleep, undersleep, disruption in self-care um, are very common. Preoccupation with religious ideas in someone who has not been very religious or extreme scrupulousness about religious observance and prayer um, may develop. Someone um, might believe that they have to pray more times a day than their religion would dictate they pray or something terrible will happen to them or people that they love um, is, is someone who is moving toward a more severe crisis. Um, and academic performance often falters, sometimes several years before their very overt and unmistakable um, signs of a serious disorder. Um, slide 52 is, again, um, out of order. So this um, summarizes what I intended to review. It is um, longer 